Nothing in progress. From the mouth breathers to the idiots, from TV to print, this is the Entitled Podcast Network, and this is Entitled Weekend. And welcome to Entitled Weekend, which seems for not weekends, but monthly. We should call it Entitled Monthly. But um, there's a lot to talk about. Bill's here with me. And <laughs> we, we just uh, were a week past the uh, NFL draft. And it was first, I want to get to that because it was really interesting. Because anytime we go into draft mode, I'm always thinking, hmm. What are they going to do? What needs to be improved? What needs to be shored up? And then I think, mm, well, whatever happens, I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that they know what they're doing. They don't need input from me, but it just seems like everyone else goes batshit and wants to decide, well, what number one, what the Patriots are going to do. And if they don't do what they, they think they're going to do, then it's the worst thing in the world. So, Bill, what did you think of, number one, just the reactions to what happened, what was going to happen before the draft, what everybody thought was going to happen, you know, from the Matt Jones fake trade to all, all the mess with the picks and all that to what actually wound up happening. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was interesting leading in because you immediately were hearing wide receiver names. You were hearing tight end names you know, we talked a lot about it in the um, we talked a lot about it in sort of the draft preview. We did a little ways back with Pat's POV um, and really discussed, you know, sort of will fall in love with players as fans. And I don't begrudge fans doing that. I don't begrudge fans having a favorite. I was a big, you know, I was a big Paris Johnson guy. I, I, I was like, if, you know, if he happened to fall, which obviously he didn't, then I'm like, go get him. He's, he is him on the line. Like I, I would have loved an addition like that, but that's not always when you're following the draft. Like, you, so fans get really up in arms because they decide what a team is going to need. And if the team doesn't do exactly what they hope, then the draft was a failure. I mean, when you're looking at this draft, what they did was really nice. Like, I, I don't think that anybody at the end of the day should be unhappy. And if you're starting your complaints in the fourth round, it's been a good draft because nobody's going to be happy with every draft pick their team makes from pillar to post. Um, but you look at the first round, I think we're all in love with the Christian, Christian Gonzalez pick. Pretty unanimously a steal in the draft. Um, a lot of the rumors are he slipped because of tackling, but if you can keep people from catching the ball, you don't need to tackle as often. So generally I'm a fan of that. Um, so he'll get stronger. He'll get tough. Like that's all stuff that you can teach. Um, but the coverage skills are really there. That's, that's a nice pick. And even people who wanted offense were excited by that pick. Um, you get to the second round a little bit less, um, you know, little little bit of chatter around once they drafted Keon White with okay, what are we doing? Are we drafting any offense? And 
I think that was satiated by people seeing his film, people being reminded that he was invited to the draft and declined, which people, so like he wasn't a guy you thought would be there at 46. Um, and but then his reaction goes viral and then it's not even the, re the actual reaction that he had. It was just what the NFL network decided to show and whoever the director was back there wasn't, he was probably sleeping and decided to keep, his face on there and then everybody said oh well Keon's not excited to be a patriot why would they pick a guy who's not doesn't even want to be there Ugh. it's foolishness um so Shaq I guess I, I have to bounce it back to you a little bit um you know sort of looking at that when you're looking at the draft the first at least the first couple rounds do you think that the Pats would draft somebody with a second round draft pick in the middle of the second round that wasn't excited to be a Patriot and sort of as a follow-up would they, you know, what do you think, you know, what is your personal reaction to those first two rounds and what were you seeing? Because I saw, you know, a little chatter, but it seemed pretty positive just based on the high caliber of players they got in the first two rounds. Well, I wish that I saw what you saw <laughs> because <or> maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's my problem because I mean, I think I did what you're talking about, though. I think I saw the people saying about how what Keon White can bring to the team. And I think that is what, obviously, that's what matters. But from everything that I saw, it was like, oh, God, he's not, he's, he looks bored. He doesn't look like he's interested. He's, he looks, you know, why wouldn't you be? You're thinking that you're going to go somewhere else or you're going to go to another place. And then, you know, you're in that room in front of the camera for a long time. So any any human being would have that type of a reaction. But again, I, I feel like it's it's anytime they're, the Patriots are involved with anything, it's just the one team. And that's what I find so hilarious is that the Patriots were like three years ago, four years ago now, without Brady, they were supposed to be this boring team that nobody cared about, that goes goes away. You know, even now when people try to say, oh, well, this team is going to be a bottom feeder, there's going to be third, fourth in the in division. But clearly they're still relevant enough that people have to have to go to that effect to say, oh, well, that's not he's not interested in being there. He doesn't want to be there. Well, isn't from your argument, they don't they don't want to be a patriot. But then why should they be a patriot? Because the team's going to be bad. It, it's 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 batshit logic. Yeah, I mean, if it was eternally you get to pick your destination, why would every player not pick the favorite for the Super Bowl the next year and not be, and be disappointed right. with anybody else? Why would anybody be excited to be the number one overall pick? Like, that logic just doesn't logic for me. Um, and when you heard in interviews after with Keon White, he talked a lot about he's not about glitz and glam and part of the things he does outside of football. Like, he does a lot of real estate. He has a lot of investment components to his life and he talks about wanting to be financially independent so that he can focus on football and when you hear things like that doesn't that just sort of scream patriot like i want to be able to focus yeah. on football i'm not about the glitz and glam i'm here to work and if they had just hung on that shot a little bit longer in most of the examples that were sent out across twitter they would have seen that he was sort of toughing his face up because he was getting ready to cry and he does not he like he was like i don't get emotional like that and he, he had to go on, I think he had to post on his Insta story uh, to, to bring that forward and say, like, that was my, my reaction was what it was. I was trying not to cry because I'm not that guy. He, you know, it's, 
he has a little bit of that like Mark Ingram situation where it's like, he show me happy, show me sad, show me elated, show me angry. And it's typically the same reaction. Like they've got a pretty, you know, a pretty flat affect facially. That's okay. Like that doesn't mean that Mark Ingram has never liked playing for any of his teams. That doesn't mean that he's never been happy. Same thing with Keon White. He, he, you know, it's, there are just some people in this world that don't show their emotion on their face and, or try not to, and that's okay. And we need to like understand that we're not the, like, we're not the, the, the experts. It's the same thing as the, the Twitter doctors telling us what every injury is. We're not psychologists and psychiatrists and we're not, you know, able see, to analyze then, the behavioral reactions of people in that moment. But see, then when people will see players who act, literally say to people's faces, I'm excited to be a Patriot. And then it's all about the money. Then it's all about, like, like Juju, like Juju this week. I'm literally here because of Bill Belichick, but apparently that's a lie because he's getting paid uh, what eight million dollars? That's a lot of money, according to people. It, it, right. It's and and like yeah, it's a lot of money. But would other teams have paid that for him or close to it? Like how much? What would the difference have been? And wouldn't it say something if you felt respected by somebody with the standing of Bill Belichick in football enough to be paid at the like the top of what you think your level is in the expected market? There is some pull and alert to both the money and to Bill Belichick. And it's okay if both are true. We can, you know, it's it's just people want to assume that there's always one answer. And typically, you know, when has anybody made a decision about their work status based on one factor? It's always, you know, I can love my job, but if they don't pay me enough, I'm not going to go to that job. I'm going to go to somewhere else where they pay me more. Like it, there's a multitude of factors when you're talking about that, but I mean, generally, I think a lot of people were okay with the first two picks. Um, where I feel I personally began to diverge from the majority of the crowd was with round three, pick 76, and Marte Mapu. <laughs> I, to, to be honest, I think I'm like the, the, like the first and second round picks, I'm like, okay, great. Those, those, those are fine. Like, I'm not to say that I'm not excited about those picks, but... I feel like the later the rounds went, I felt like, yes, they're it's like they're addressing their need, but they're also they're picking these guys that again, nobody knows what nobody's talking about, but also guys who I feel like they can harness and 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 with their personalities and what they can do, their skill set, I feel like they can get things out of them that I don't think other teams will be able to. Like like you said, Marte Mapu, I think a guy like that is Number one, perfect for 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 the linebacking core, and number two, I think it it it, it works for that specific pick. Go ahead. Right. I know you're going to like, expand on him. No, it's it's just it's one of those things that fans don't understand in general about the draft. When you heard after, it sounds like the Patriots were looking to trade back a little bit out of seventy six. But what the Patriots consistently do when they can't trade back is they take one of the guys they like. It doesn't matter if you get them at 76 or 96 in terms of getting the player you want. Obviously, you want that draft capital, but it takes two to tango. And so would they have liked Marte Mapu at 85 and have picked up a sixth-round pick? Sure. I'm sure they would have loved that. But not every deal is going to work out like Christian Gonzalez did in the first round. 
And so, and sometimes it's that they know there's one other team that's really interested and their draft capital is in such a position where they could trade up and scoop. So it, it, it's always a tough situation when you really want a player. Um, so Marte Mapu, uh, you know, they, they listed him as a linebacker. And I think that's an important designation because he was doing a lot of like the in the box stuff. People are going to see safety and they're going to say, don't they have, you know, and I joke and I do the, you know, the Crunchberries box with oops, all safety. He's not a safety. He's a linebacker. He's going to play purely linebacker for the Patriots. Obviously he can drop into coverage, some unique formations. Maybe they have him drop into a safety set, but like he's going to be in linebacker meetings. He's going to be that like in the, in the linebacker core. And that's an important piece because for years, all you heard about Patriots linebackers was that there was a speed deficit. And if you look at these first three picks, they just continue to one, enhance the defense, and two, there's a speed component. Keon White has an explosive step. Like, he doesn't need to be, you know, 40. We're not talking 40-yard speed. We're talking, for him, explosive burst speed. Christian Gonzalez is fast. Marte Mapu, fast. They've gotten faster over the last couple of years, in part to counteract offenses like the Dolphins with a mobile quarterback, Tyree Kill, and Jalen Waddell. Like you're looking at the opponents you have and you're adapting your defense to match up well against them, which means you need to take players that have the skill set you're looking for, even if you may need a little bit of seasoning to develop them into what they want to be. Um, but I think Marte Mapu has a big upside. Like, and, you know, I've seen people say that he could have gone, you know, this was a good range for him. He could have gone up by 100. You know, there's a, uh, some people are like, oh, he was way down on my board. So there's a range on him, but if they see something in him, the last, you know, speed versatile positional defender that they saw was Kyle Duggar and they did pretty well with that. So I'm okay with, you know, going and grabbing Marte Mapu. And if you can't trade back, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to take him a little bit earlier than the pundits would have wanted. But at the end of the day, the pundits aren't the ones who are sitting in a draft room having to make the tough call. So, I mean, you know, but generally, I'm excited about that level of speed in our linebacker, linebacking core, and he's a solid tackler. So fast and a solid tackler. I don't know what else you could want as a base skill set. Shaq, what are your thoughts on Mapu? No, I agree. I think that that sort of speed is not that it was lacking, but I feel like it enhances what's already there. And then you're going to have the secondary, which to me, I'm – most excited about and seeing the especially the leap of the joneses and you know of course the other the other guys in the safeties position i think that it's going to help bringing in a guy like marty mapu um and for going further into the draft uh well look any any Anybody would as a punter would have been would be better than Michael Polari last year. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Me and you, me and you could. Uh, that sorry, right. I'm sorry. If Michael Polari's mom is listening. I, I apologize, but your son wasn't very good for the Patriots. Um, but uh, but then you have uh, Jake Andrews, who it's interesting uh, that he's a center and David Andrews is a center. It, it's it's I, I feel that that's interesting, and then you have. Uh, Chad Ryland, Sadi Sal, and I'm really interested in Kayshawn Boot uh, in round six. Uh, I'm very intrigued by him, and I've heard—he's probably the guy I've heard the most about. Maybe it's because he's a wide receiver, and you know, 
any any offensive pick would have probably gotten you know a, a lot of attention but also demario douglas the other wide receiver they drafted i've heard more about demario douglas i would say than boot um what do you think about both of those guys as far as how how much they can contribute if they can this year because again it's asking a lot for a rookie in this offense yeah, I mean, I think it, what it comes down to is opportunity. Uh, you know, I think Bill O'Brien, you know, we've got to remember when Bill O'Brien was offensive coordinator last for the Patriots, they were bringing in some younger talent to work with Brady. And arguably, and I'm, you know, this is not a statement of fact, it very well feels like the last time Brady really accepted a lot of young talent coming in at, at like sort of a similar time and integrating it into the offense. And I so I'm not as, you know, I think Brady at times was an obstacle to younger players finding their success. And that's not a knock on Brady. It's if you're that caliber of quarterback, you should sort of get a little bit of say about who you want to throw the ball to. I'm fine with that. But now we've got, you know, a younger quarterback. We've got Bill O'Brien who has a little bit of experience bringing younger players along and into integrating them into the offense. I mean, Demario Douglas has an interesting skill set, but Hishon uh, uh, Boot is is sort of the one I'm looking at uh, as an in, as an intriguing opportunity for the Patriots because that's somebody who had talent to go multiple rounds earlier, um, and it's it's a flyer. You know, you understand that when you're doing, you know, with the sixth and seventh round pick, that to an extent you're talking about flyers, um, but there's a lot of upside there. Uh, and so if there, if he's bought, bought in and if he's, you know, sorted out any, you know, any, you know, effort concerns, or if it's sort of, it's pissed him off that everybody's talking about effort concerns and he's going to show everybody that's a guy who can cook on, on a professional level. He has all the, the skills to do it. So, you know, I, I'm big on both of them. Um, I do want to double back quickly to the three linemen we took. And I think what people are missing about drafting three offensive linemen in this draft is what we had to do this offseason. And when you look at our roster, we had to spend decent money on veteran depth. Now, one of, one of the signings is probably going to start at opposite tackle from Trent Brown. But you look at it and say they had to pay significant money to have depth at that position. If you draft three offensive linemen this year, it gives you the flexibility to be able to use that money that you're going to spend overall on the offensive line to perhaps re-sign Michael on one year. It gives you that money to perhaps draft somebody in the first round in a future year and be able to pay that salary without it sort of blowing up and making you go over on how much you anticipate to spend on the line. And if you hit on any of these guys and it comes quality starters, you're paying them a low amount for a couple of seasons before they are cashing in. So it's a, the drafting of offensive linemen in the mid rounds there, I think is purely a strategic move to be able to improve the depth because we saw the issues last season. And I, it, it, you know, you don't want to repeat where you're having to pay, you know, four plus million dollars a year for somebody who might not see the field very often. And that's no disrespect to the guys who are getting that money. They're veterans who have played well in the league. They've earned that money, but you don't want to be the one paying it. 
because it means you don't have the depth on your line. And I, I, I'm never going to be upset by drafting offensive linemen and seeing who sticks, seeing what you can do in terms of getting some quality cost effective depth across the board. And then anybody mad about trading up to get a kicker? Why? Why? You, you need a kicker. You, you need a punter. I understand they're not the sexy picks, but trading up to get the second best kicker in this draft, would you have preferred them to wait and get the fifth or sixth? And what would that look like? We saw, you know, kickers are, are very tricky. If they like a guy, I'd like them to go and get that guy. So I'm, I'm a little flabbergasted by people upset there. Um, the one thing that I'm, the only thing I'll say I'm surprised they didn't address in any way in the draft was tight end. They went with a couple of corners very late in the draft, um, Amir Speed and Isaiah Bolden. But, and notice that Isaiah Bolden, the only HBCU player taken in the draft, um, as Deion Sanders rightfully pointed out. Um, and I think, you know, there's some potential there as well, probably more special teams on the early side, but that's, you, as we've seen, especially in New England, you can craft a hell of a career quote unquote, just on special teams looking at you, Matthew Slater. So it, it's, exactly. it's definitely, and those late round picks are very interesting. Um, but, you know, I just, I, it, the, the tight end might've been the one thing I was surprised they didn't draft. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts in terms of like sort of those late and end round picks? Yeah, so like I said, like I said about um, about the wide receivers, I feel like I feel like taking them that late is it's it's gonna like it's gonna give them a little bit of breathing room because we all know the the struggles that they've had drafting guys in the first round, second round, higher than that. It's it's. Well documented. We don't need to go over that. So I think in the, in this round, there's not there's a less pressure on the player to develop and and have that pressure because there's there's obviously there's pressure for all the players clicking in the first round because you expect them to deliver something if you know to be a an instant you know chemistry maker and being part of the team in the sixth round. It's almost like I don't want to say it's a Todd Brady, but you're in a situation where you're you're obviously going to be behind other guys anyway so it's it's almost as if you you don't you don't have that again you don't have that type of pressure to deliver so it, it's a lot it's a lot less it's more you're more able to adjust and make your play stand out so i i'm going to be interested to see what they do in mini camps and further in training camp to see where they where they position themselves. But the other picks, uh, like you said, I agree with you on the offensive linemen that, that were picked in the later rounds. I feel like depth is huge, and that's not taken into consideration by fans because, again, it's boring. It's not sexy. It's not a uh, – It's it doesn't it doesn't make your pants drop, It but you need it. And, again, kickers and punters, thing, again, things you need. Um, the Bolden and Amir Speed pick, um, I, I'm not going to say they're throwaway picks, but 
again, there more depth in the, in the secondary. I, I feel like the secondary is going to be if one of, if not the strength of this team. And I feel like if you have have guys to back up the other ones, I feel like it'll it'll pay dividends there. So, look as as far as the whole draft is concerned, it it did what it was supposed to do. It it didn't. It, it's not going to blow you away, but the draft. If unless you're picking number one, you're not going to do that. So, the the draft is not where you typically where you go from. You know from you know early teens picks you're going to like turn yourself into Super Bowl favorite um, you know typically that's a little more that takes a little more roster building it takes a, some a several drafts in a row which the Patriots have had several good drafts in a row I, I think you could see a step forward for the Patriots this year in several ways um, but it's also not the only component that's happened in recent days there's also the UDFA signing. And I think that, you know, that's where they addressed tight end with that Johnny Lumpkin. Um, interesting, you know, pick. I think certainly big bodied. I think he's like 260, something, you know, 260 something like 6'5, big, you know, so probably a little bit more of a blocker. Um, but when you're going to be running the ball, when you got somebody like Mondre in the backfield, nice to have that that can occasionally, you know, bleed out and get a pass. Um, the one I'm most interested in, in is uh, Malik Cunningham. Uh, because he did say he was interested in trying some different positions outside of quarterback if teams were interested in him doing so. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, maybe he'd do wide out. But genuinely, with how he operated from the backfield, I am wondering if they see him in the, um, you know, sort of the third down back role. You know, and maybe he's not doing that as a rookie. Maybe he's, you know, practice squad as a rookie. Maybe he's, you know, not making the team. But looking at the opportunity there, that's an interesting pick. Um, I think the other was a, a linebacker, um, Healing from uh, Appalachian State, mm-hmm. um, smaller linebacker, but again, speed, um, probably a little bit less, you know, you don't have to announce what position you're going to have them play. It's not like with the draft where they're announcing a, a position alongside the person. Um, but that's somebody I could also see playing that perhaps could be engaged in the secondary conversations. Um but probably a little bit more early on again, somebody that might have to shine on special teams in order to secure a roster spot. Um, so that just interesting how they're looking and they're throwing a few different directions um, at wide receiver with those late round picks with the free agency signing. I know they invited um, that kid Ed Lee from URI um, to mini camp. He's not like a signing, but he got invited to the mini camp. Um, so they're looking in a lot of different ways to bring in young talent at, uh, across the board. Um, and when you look at the number of picks they had, plus bringing in three signings in UDFA, plus a mini camp invitation, at least for one person, they've got a lot of young people coming in to really like be able to take a good look at and identify talent that's going to support the team. So, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm big on draft grades are bullshit and nonsense and no one knows what people are going to craft into. But I think that the Patriots had an intentional plan here to get faster. I think they had an intentional plan to draft a lot of linemen so that they don't have to use any of the ton of money they have next offseason on depth on the line and can really use it to either retain high-end talent on the line or use it in other positions. And then really where they feel like they need an influx of talent, I think they threw a lot of darts at the board. And said, we want to, you know, we want to see what sticks here and sprinkle, you know, see who we hit on out of this group because the odds are strong. We're going to hit on one or two. 
And if we do, we're in really, really good shape at that position. Exactly. And a good point about the UDFAs, um, first with, with Lumpkin, they don't have a tight end signed past 2023. So, um, it, so I do agree that it was kind of interesting why they didn't draft one. But signing Lumpkin, uh, you, so you have somebody there that, again, good athleticism, like you said, big size. Um, Cunningham is interesting to me. Now, the Patriots have four quarterbacks. They, they have – Yeah, they've got Mac, they've got Bailey, um, they've got Cunningham, and then um, oh god, which is the one they said? Is it Trace McSorley they signed? Yeah, so McSorley. Yeah, so that's their four. McSorley. Yeah, and yeah, so Zappy and Cunningham. Cunningham, there was apparently, according to Tom Pelissero, there was some competition for him. He got a thirty thousand dollars signing bonus, one hundred seventy thousand dollars base salary. He has an impressive dual threat skill set. Um, 62% of his passes, 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns. So he makes plays in the open field with his speed. So he's an interesting player, and reaction was actually pretty positive from the national media, which is never the case when it comes to the Patriots. So um, it's I think he's an under-the-radar signing that people are going to be talking about. And he, like, like you said, a special team star. Special teams, huge weakness for the Patriots last year. Anybody in their dog knows that. So um, it's always good to have fresh faces in that aspect. So all right. in all, it's, I think it's good. Yeah, it's you got a new kicker, you got a new punter, you got new, you know, you you signed some nice gunning players and protection players for the for the different special teams units. People are again. It's very unsexy what the Patriots have done in this draft, and a lot of their offseason signings aren't the big splash. But at the end of the day, you look at games, and games were determined by one score one way or another. Games were tighter, like the game, you know, the game against the Vikings, the game against the Raiders, the game against the Bengals, the game against um, Buffalo in the last week of the season. That was a little bit of a wider margin, but that was clearly determined with some significant special teams. Um, so you look at those, special teams is an aspect that can make the difference in those one-score games, those tight games. And so the Patriots were hanging with some good teams late in the season, and people just didn't want to, like, I don't want to say acknowledge it. That's probably a little harsh, but people didn't notice it because they had struggled earlier in the year. And I think that if you secure up special teams and the offense can take even a slight step forward from last year, which I'm sure they can, uh, you could see this team, despite a more difficult schedule, surprise people this year with how well they play. Absolutely. So um, I want to talk about uh, Bill Belichick pushing Greg Bedard's shit in. Uh, during the uh, press conference and I, th this this was just i mean it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody but greg bedard's an asshole and it's 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 even more evident when he's when he is so hell-bent on a point and he feels that it's right and it's great so i want to find this clip and play this because it's it's beautiful and all of this has to do with with Mac Jones and again, I don't know what Mac Jones has done to fans and media, but be himself. There's there's no 
there's no evidence of him being a a having an attitude or being something it's all rumors and speculation that's never been held true or never been proven by anyone but it's just and again anything that is said multiple times becomes fact and it's just not good so let me find this clip we're gonna go Greg Bedard followed by Zach Cox hey Bill um excuse the question but I'm gonna assume that we're not getting you tomorrow after the draft from what we've been told so uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, uh, if you wanted to, to clarify sort of your feelings about Mac Jones. There have been some well-published reports that you were shopping him um, that, you know, weren't uh, refuted by anyone uh, from the Patriots. And also, you know, Cam Newton, when he started in 2020, you declared him your quarterback. After you drafted Mac Jones, you declared him your quarterback at the league meetings. You didn't even mention Mac by name. I'm just wondering if, you know, how do you feel about Mac? Is he your quarterback right now? Um, how do you view him going into year three? Yeah, well, I'm not going to respond to the anonymous quotes, Greg, so. So, I mean, would you like to, is can, is, is Mac your, your quarterback as of right now? Yeah, I mean, look, Mac, you know, Mac's been our quarterback for two years. And as I tell the team every year, each player, each coach, you know, we all have to reestablish and prove ourselves every year. That's what this league is. So that's that's for all of us. 2023 is 23 is 23. We'll see how 23 goes. You were very complimentary of him going into last season and the last training camp. Um, I'm still you still, still view him the same way. Absolutely. So yeah, Bedard is—he's—he's he's an asshole. So what do you think? It's—it's it's the most insulting line of questioning, and he starts it off by being like, "Oh, well, we're not going to get you tomorrow, so I'm going to ask you in the middle of the draft," because he knows, he knows this is an asinine thing to ask, and I think that Belichick honestly in the past has not taken a firm enough line like he sort of snorted and you know given his typical gruff response and just sort of been like you know but when he's like i'm not responding to unnamed unvetted sources like i love that that needs to happen more because it's just purely speculation that takes on legs as you said it's it takes on legs based on you know, people just saying it over and over. And what I think Bedard really bungles in that clip is Bedard continues to talk. And there's a point where after he asked, you know, says that Belichick has said all these great things about Mac in the past before last season. And he, he was about to, you hear Belichick interrupt him and go, I still do about like thinking these great things about Mac Jones. And you can hear Belichick starting to interject that. And Bedard talks over him and then gives Belichick a yes or no answer at the end with, do you still feel those things? What, what reporter with any understanding hears Bill Belichick start to talk and start a sentence without a yes or a no or a snort and a yeah, I don't know, you know. It's, and I, I want to give you the, I want to give you the opportunity. Like, who the hell are you 
that yeah. I want to give you the opportunity. Like, and then fuck he, you, yeah. dude. And then he doesn't give him the opportunity. Bill Belichick is ready to stay with a, a, you can hear it. I still do is the start of the sentence. And then he cuts him off. I could not believe that. Don't like if he had stopped and let Belichick go on at the end of the day, as much as I don't like Bedard and I don't like that question, he would have done his job because he would have gotten a quote that would have otherwise not been received. That, that would have been a success, even if it's like sort of failing, you know, even if it's failing upward. And so I don't understand why he would sort of end it on a yes or no question. That's like journalism 101. If you end it with yes or no, people are going to give you yes or no. Uh, I mean, and it just allowed Belichick to stick to the gun of having stuffed him in a locker. It, and then the, there were people that were like, oh, Bedard got him. No, Bedard did a shit job as a reporter. Like, it, it, the last comment is all as you need to hear. Yeah. It, and you know what? Maybe if he had more practice being down there in the build in the building, he would have had a better he would have had a better understanding of when he should have shut up and let the quote happen. That would have been a victory for him. But because he has no concept of how to be on the beat anymore, he just decided to not let that happen and let you know. I hate to say let Belichick off the hook because that makes it sound like he sort of had him. He really didn't, but he he let Belichick take an easier path out than the path Belichick was choosing to take in spite of a really terrible question. Yeah. It, and, and again, I don't understand the obsession about asking the coach about Mac. Is he your quarterback? Listen, like, is what, he my quarterback? What, what, what game are we playing? When, when yeah. do we next play? When, Schedule isn't right. even released yet. When do we play? It, who are we playing? And at the end of the day, if, you know, we all should know well enough with Bill Belichick, if Bailey Zappi comes back in the best condition of his life and is dramatically improved, there's not a guarantee Mac starts. There shouldn't be a guarantee anybody starts. No one is irreplaceable. If there's somebody that gives you a better chance to win, they give you a better chance to win. And that's all Belichick has ever said. It's not a lack of confidence, if anything. It's a vote of confidence in his collective group of players more so than the success of any one individual. And if you've been around Bill Belichick for five seconds, you should know that's the truth. All right. So let's get to some good news um, now. Uh, Parcel snubbed yet again by the fans. Congratulations to all of us. We have all won. It, and, and Bill, uh, I, well, I've I think I've I've taken the reins of this, but you like you you've been doing literal backflips all week long. Um, this is this has been it's sickening how much the media is forcing this guy on us and making him the martyr of all things, uh, changing the way the Patriots run now. Apparently, he's he's next to craft in changing the way the Patriots do things. It's there's nothing wrong with saying that Bill Parcells did not do a good job as the head coach of the New England Patriots. There's nothing wrong with it. And people can disagree about what good means, but are you telling me that he did a great job? 
Are you telling me that he did a Hall of Fame job? He was here for four seasons. Are you saying that Hall of Fame should be a given to any coach for four seasons? 500 coach. He was, and like, again, I understand some of the intangibles. There's some credibility to a Super Bowl winning head coach coming to your team. I, I respect that. I understand that all of it. But at the end of the day, he left because he wasn't shopping for the groceries. So you can't give him credit for the players that are that were here in time. Really, if you want to give credit to the players that were here, you need to give that credit, in all honesty, to Pete Carroll. Because Pete Carroll re-signed the right guys. All of those guys were on second contracts by the time Belichick right. got here. So yeah. this is not just they were drafted and they were here and they were stuck here with Belichick. They agreed to stay under Pete Carroll, signed extensions under Pete Carroll. So are we also saying that Pete Carroll should be inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame? Like, no, that's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's just, it's this, and it's, the, everyone thinks it's, you know, the young voters are screwing them up. I have met many older fans who think Bel, uh, Parcell's success, rather, is overstated. His impact is overstated. It's not saying he had no impact. But again, we're talking Hall of Fame. Raymond Berry should easily be in the Patriots Hall of Fame before Bill Parcells. Dante Scarnecchia is rightfully getting in before Bill Parcells. There are Ivan Fears should be in the Patriots Hall of Fame before Bill Parcells. There are coaches, both head and assistant, that should be in ahead of Bill Parcells. I would argue... Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell should both be in ahead of Bill Parcells. There's the, and, and, you know, that's, it sounds like, and it's, it's morphed over years. I think his accomplishments have been overstated. I probably now go too far to the other side to try to correct and shitting on his accomplishments, but there's a middle ground where you're saying he's a fine coach. This was his worst stop in his career based on, you know, record based, this was not a successful stop for him. It's okay to not put him in your hall of fame as a result. And what we have is a group of media members who grew up early in their tenure as professionals with Parcells. And now they've had Belichick. And they liked what Parcells did for them. And there's, they're ignoring Raymond Berry. They're ignoring other nominate, nominees. And for like, what is this like the fifth or sixth year that Parcells has been nominated and lost in a fan vote? You're going to put him in through the Veterans Committee at some point, which I, I don't think you should, but I know you're going to. So why do you keep trying to shove him down our throats and make it happen? It's just not worth it. So it's like, I feel at this point, it is more a shame on the media members and it's a dig at the media that the vote is going the way that it is. Because everyone can see that they're trying to force feed Bill Parcells into the Hall of Fame through fan vote. And the fans just aren't having it. Every year. Like, I love Mike Rabel. But personally, I voted for Logan Mankins this year. That's fine. You can have a, di you know, a disagreement about who's the right person off a three-person ballot to be in the Hall. But what are we doing? After a certain time. He's finished, I think, third most years he's been on the ballot. At a certain point, the fans are telling you, we are not putting this guy in. Please stop nominating him. We would like to talk about other people 
eventually go ahead, put him in through veterans committee. Cause you're going to do it. I don't like it. I'll be there to boo because I think it's a, a nonsense thing. He did not save the Patriots from moving. He was ready to keep, you know, they were going to put him in the U-Haul too and move him to St. Louis. Like this is not, <laughs> he didn't care where we played. He cared that we had the number one pick and drafted Drew Bledsoe. That's what he cared about. And that's okay. He doesn't have to care where we play, but he didn't save it. And he didn't give us the first shred of credibility. Raymond Berry did in 1985. They ran into a juggernaut Bears team, but that was a damn good Patriots team. So he didn't give us. I thought the Patriots didn't exist before 1994. Right. You would think. You would think. (laughs) And it's just. It's just, it's this washing of the history of the Patriots. I'm sure that there was intangible impact. And I, you know, I was old enough to recall the Bill Parcells era. I was young, but I'm old enough to recall that era. And of course, I was excited, the whole jambalaya thing. and the, That was great. And when he was calling out Sam Gash before the Super Bowl rally, I, w- I was alive for that. I was grown enough to know. But just, he did that and then was also flirting with the Jets on the phone all week. It's like, you can't. You can't ignore all of the and factors sent that go over against Curtis somebody. Martin, the, one of the best players in the league, with him. So, you know. Right. At, at the end of the day, you can't ignore all of the things that go against somebody's candidacy and then say it's the intangibles. You have to take into account those things that go against him. The 32 and 32 record goes against him. The phone calls with the Jets go against him. The getting blown out in the Super Bowl does go against him. And at the end of the day, when you have somebody who I think is like fifth out of 15 coaches in win percentage for the Patriots, that's a pretty big knock to say the intangibles were so great that you're going to put that one in your Hall of Fame. And I just, I, I just don't have, you know, it's, it's a, I feel like it's a nostalgia thing where people are saying like, that was my first Patriots team, I remember, or the first one I covered, or the first that, that I, and it's like, I understand that. And if they want to put them in eventually through the committee, like, I won't be happy with it, but I, you know, it, it'll be what it'll be. I don't have control over that. But shoving him down and the fans' And that's what sucks. Year. That's what sucks because, again, Scar- Scarnecchia, we were talking about this before, Scarnecchia would have been voted on by the fans. And yes. the fact that, yeah. Unanimously, if you put him in this uh, ballot when you had Skarnecchia, Vrabel, and Mankins, it would have been a great vote. It would have been a competitive vote, no doubt about it. But I think that Skarnecchia would have won that vote. And, and if you get and, and if you gave Logan Mankins truth serum, he probably would have told you to vote for Skarnecchia. Like exactly, <laughs> you know, it's uh, and that would have been great. It would have been great to see a coach voted on by the fans. Because it would show something. It's not just this, you know, oh, they like the players. Can I see Charlie Weiss on a ballot? Can I see Romeo Cornell? Can I see Ivan Fears? Can I see Raymond Berry? Ernie Adams. You know what? <laughs> er- can I see Ernie Adams? All of them are worthy of con- at least consideration. I personally think they all belong in. But they're all worthy of consideration. And I would love to see the fans vote in a, vote in a coach. Because I think it would sort of deteriorate some of the argument that's being made here, especially if it was a historical coach like a Raymond Berry that went in, Um, you know, and I think there are others that like are, you know, and I, 
I, you know, I, I'm, I look back, I like to look at past game, but like, I'm sure there are others that would have strong consideration within that. But I just, I'd love to see a coach go in. I'd love to see a coach, but I just don't think Parcells is the right guy. And that's so like, that's taking nothing away from his Hall of Fame professional football career as a head coach. He is an NFL Hall of Famer and a very, very just one. There's nothing, like, no one is here saying that, like, oh, he sucked as a coach forever. He just had his least successful stop in New England. And I, like, a lot of fans don't feel like that's worthy of being in the Hall of Fame for the team. I think that's okay. I think that's all right. And it's, you know, when you get Glenn Ordway telling everyone, you know, oh, it's the young people don't understand. It's the young people don't understand what the impact was. It's insulting. And then, you know, Shaq, I'm going to turn this back to you because, you know, he, he'll, he'll say, oh, you know, oh, it's the young people don't understand. They don't, they just don't know. They don't know any better. And he'll insult them all day long. But then if you tell him to shut the fuck up, old man, his buddy Fitzy defends, descends from the rafters and tries to not quote tweet you, Shaq, but screenshot you so that it won't alert you. And then posts it and talks about how mean it is to talk about Glenn Ordway that way, to tell him to shut the fuck up, old man, after he's the one who brought age into the whole situation. So, you know, how do you feel about the guy who made a career selling posters that say, go fuck yourself, and koozies that say, go fuck yourself on them, trying to curse you out to the language you use being mean to Glenn Ordway on the internet? What's funny about this tweet was I wasn't even paying attention. I was at work and then I saw our chat and then uh, our buddy, our buddy Robert sent a screenshot of Fitzy. And I said, what is, is that? My tweet. I didn't even, I had to look and I had to see, it was like, is that my tweet that he's quote, but well, he's not even quote tweeting it. He's, I guess he did quote tweet it, but then it was a screenshot. Well, it was a screenshot of a quote tweet. And then he deleted it because it didn't really get the attention that he thought it would. He thought that everybody would be like, yeah, that's right. That young guy shouldn't be saying anything about Glenn, the great Glenn Ordway. Glenn Ordway is our Walter Cronkite. He's our Edward R. Murrow. We should be respecting him more. But apparently that didn't go over too well. So he deleted it. You know, Fitzy, the guy who burps on camera and curses, is 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 talking about the corn and talking about respect. That's, I find that hilarious. Um so yeah, my tweet was, shut the fuck up, old man. How many times do we have to teach this lesson? We don't want Parcells. Deal with it. That was my tweet. Right. We, which is also... Which was a response just, to Glenn Orway's talking about young people. <laughs> correct. And two, it's the it's the, it's just a little bit more vulgar version of that SpongeBob. How many times do we have to teach you that lesson, old man? And, and what, I found, somebody... what I found... Yeah, what I found even more interesting was... Glenn Ordway wasn't the only one. It was all the right people you would think of. And again, all the old people you would think of that had a problem with it. Um, this guy named Kevin J. Stone, I don't know what he's from. I don't know where he, where he comes from. But uh, he, he says it's definitely the younger generation having absolutely no idea how integral he was to starting the turnaround. And a guy who mute, he muted the replies to that tweet. So. <laughs> and I, and the, I. How cowardly. The irony of the same people who probably do the Belichick Brady argument. And then you have Dan Shasty, you had Ron Borges, yeah. all the right ones. Yep. 
Yeah. So all, all the people who engage in the Belichick Brady debate give Parcells all the credit when he only showed up because they got the number one pick and were drafting Drew Bledsoe. He literally is. So like, if you want to play out the, you know, the what if Marvel, what if scenario of the Patriots in the nineties, if Drew Bledsoe is not going to become your quarterback, Bill Parcells is never your coach. So really with this whole transitive property where people want to give Bill Parcells credit for the six Super Bowls, no, no, no. He doesn't get any credit. Just like Belichick doesn't get any credit because it was all Drew Bledsoe. It was all Drew. If Drew Bledsoe brought Parcells in, which then brought Belichick in, and that led to six Super Bowls. And I'm sure Ironhead is listening to this and is shaking, shaking, because I'm I'm somehow saying that Drew Bledsoe is responsible for the six Super Bowl championships. But you get what I'm getting at. That like when you play this game of yeah. what if, you're giving credit for things that people never earned. You, uh, the success of somebody in a job is not determined by the people who provided references for them. It's just not. We can't be doing that. We can't be teaching it's the that same out. People, it's the same people like Asante Samuel who says, Belichick sucks, Brady did everything. Like it, it, It's so juvenile, and, mm -hmm. and it takes away the performance of all the other players, including his very own teammates. Like, right. do you think Ty Law is saying that? Ty Law isn't saying that. You know, Lawyer Miller no. isn't saying that. You know, it, no. it's it's so stupid and juvenile. Right. I mean, just to, to close it out with this, it's I I dance on the I dance on the grave of this nomination every year. And it's it like it just because because the ridiculousness with which people put this forward like it's a must is comical. And eventually he may get in through that veterans committee. And if he does, I won't like it, but there's nothing I can do. He will never get in on a fan vote. Stop nominating him. If you want to nominate a coach, nominate Charlie Weiss, nominate Romeo Cornell, nominate Ivan Raymond Berry. There are several candidates who would have a good shot at getting in. Let's start nominating coaches that are less controversial and have a better shot at getting in with the fans. Because you're, you're, what you're doing is you're really limiting the opportunity that some others have to get on that ballot. And you you're limiting the opportunity others have to make a good case for the fans may be excited to vote for them because you're taking up and sucking this resource up by continuing to nominate somebody the fans have outwardly said no to on a multitude of occasions. Yeah, I just want people to realize i just want to read the list of the of the uh hall of fame committee members and just know who the type of people you're dealing with so there some some of these people would be like yep yep they, they should have a vote but these other people no so you have uh joe Marcino from channel seven ernie adams ron borges ugh. you have bill burt from the lawrence equal tribune steve burton Mark Capello from the Sports Clan, Tommy Curran, Jim Donaldson, who's a fucking asshole, Mark Farinella from the Attleboro Sun Chronicle, Glenn Farley from the Brockton Enterprise, Karen Garigian of, I guess, Mass Live now, because she left the Boston Herald, um, John Henry, 
but that's not it's not that John Henry. It's apparently Patriots game day statistics. So it's a different John Henry, I believe. I don't think it's the Red Sox guy. <laughs> that that would be really difficult to say. Oh, John Henry, the Red no. Sox guy is part of the Patriots um Hall of Fame committee. <laughs> um, Ron Hobson, Fred Kirsch, Mike Lynch, Jim McBride, Brian Morey, Paul Perillo, Phil Perry, Chris Price, Mike Reese, John Rook, Dante Scarnecchia, Matt Smith. Bob Sosi, Butch Stearns, Andre Tippett, and Howard Oman. Okay, so most of these people, you'd be like, yeah, of course they would be a, a member of that committee. And some of these people are, are part of the organization or have an in, in tangential part of the organization. But then a few of these people are like, get the hell, get them the hell off this list because what the fuck? <laughs> Dan Shaughnessy, yeah, the, the, the two people who have clearly they've given up, they're given their, uh, we know who they voted for and we know what their intentions are because they're making it clear on Twitter. Dan Shaughnessy and Ron Borges, you know, Ron Borges is going to probably plagiarize Dan Shaughnessy. I wouldn't be surprised if he did that, but it's, it, it's so sickening. And Kevin J stone, you're not relevant. <laughs> so don't, so you try to tweet, tweet at me and try to tweet at everybody who had a, who uh, came at you saying, let me know when you are relevant. Don't worry. I'd rather be irrelevant than be a Boston media. So, you know, we all have our, our, path in life and that's mine uh, yeah. so I, I look forward to this same conversation next year when they nominate parcells again and logan mankins gets inducted and we hear all over again this exact same conversation it is the groundhog's day of patriot yep. fandom every year and uh our, our our buddy uh kevin peters had the a meme of uh lucy holding the football with charlie yep. and he has patriots fans and Parcells Hall of Fame Kansas City and old beat writers that Charlie Brown with with their arms crossed like it's if gonna be it's have, gonna be Lucy again. Yep, and if you have, describe a meme on your entitled weekend bingo board. Go ahead and put dob that one right off. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't think that one is uh, on the list, but you know, it was describe a meme, so I guess that is part of it. Um, before we go, uh, I want to read this email because I thought it was awesome. It's from Matt Harrigan. It says, hi, I've listened to you guys forever. Full disclosure, I live in New York and I'm a fan of the New York teams, except for football. New England is my first is the first team I ever watched a game of and fell in love since. Being a Pats fan, I tend to follow the other Boston teams when I'm not a fan of them. Sorry, LOL, but I'm ready to rant. But what the fuck? The media blows. This draft was the easiest by far of all the drafts under Belichick that you knew they were trading down. None of the three players linked to them were picked and seen going to be picked and in this case a player a better player gonzalez was available i now have even been upset if they didn't trade down because the guys they wanted would have been available of course idiots in media are upset with the most obvious trade down in history and i was expecting a trade down to a much later pick but they traded down only a few picks that right there tells you they had their eye on someone they were sure would be available there and he was and was the best cornerback of the draft. I was wanting Porter at first, then one of the wide receivers, but always assumed Gonzalez would be gone. One of my favorite picks they've ever done by far. Everybody talks about how they can't draft wide receivers early, but nobody talks about how strong they have drafted from the defensive side, especially with cornerback and then finding studs in the later parts of the draft. And also, the Jets still suck after the Rodgers trade. Not only is he severely overrated, but they don't have nearly enough to make a shot for a playoff run this year, especially with Miami and Buffalo. Folks saying New York Jets is better on paper 
then the Pats are incredibly mistaken. In the last, BB has modeled his team defensively in particular as the, against the team he perceived most as a threat. At one point, he got players he was confident would be most effective in beating Indianapolis, eventually against Kansas City. Last year, he started to move towards beating Buffalo, and I think he is still in that direction. I think our offense is talented enough to score enough points this year, especially with an offensive coordinator who is used to the position. This team is a lot better than anyone outside of New England gives them credit for, and they, again, look to field an elite defense. Love you guys and what you do. Sorry it took so long for me to write, but the New England Patriots tonight played the draft masterfully and got one hell of a player out of it, plus another pick. Go Pats. So, yeah. Matt, Matt, thanks for that email, and I, I think you hit on it perfectly. It, these, and we talked about it earlier. People zero in on wide receiver because, again, it's sexy. It's 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 the pick that everyone wants because you know I guess they score a lot, and you know if they draft a running back, running back's not sexy anymore. You know nobody goes drafts running backs. So if, if you if you don't do that, that's good. But I uh, I think Gonzalez is a perfect for what they're going to do, especially having to face Miami and Buffalo and even the Jets. So this Rogers thing, I, I just, even before it was official, and I put that in, put that in quotes, that the trade was going to happen, I said, this is just a mess. And you can't tell me it wasn't a mess because this, it's just, it's just been back and forth, you know, with all the leaks and rumors about, oh, Rogers is going to have, He's, he's gonna. He's puts an edict out there to the Jets that you have to get Alan Lazard, and now they have um, Randall Cobb, and it's it's basically the redo of the Packers of last year, and maybe you know Cobb from two five years ago. Like, do you really think that the Jets are gonna once he throws two interceptions in the first game, and the New York media climbs his way, climbs their way into the press conference? it's not going to be good for him. So I'm not worried about that at all. What do you think about this Roger situation? I mean, well, I, I think Matt hit a lot, uh, you know, a lot of it on the head with, you know, the on paper thing, not making a ton of sense. Um, I, I do think the Patriots are the better team between the two. Um, and I, I don't think it's particularly close and maybe I'll be mistaken once we're up on the field. I'm certainly not about being wrong. Um, but Rogers is not Brady. And I think what they think they're getting is Tom Brady, who's going to immediately lead them to a Super Bowl. But let's we lest we forget, Brady went to one of the weakest divisions that in football at the time and was able to run rough shot over that. The difference here is that Rogers, even if he plays well, is going up against one of the toughest divisions in football. If Jets fans are thinking the Patriots are the you know are the worst team in the division and they're better, that's fine. But like, they're not there. There are no easy divisional games in the AFC East this year. You, like people just have to accept that there there are just not easy games. So, what's Rogers going to do? Five hundred in those, and they still have one of the harder schedules in football as well. And for you know, I I think what people are neglecting here as well is that the offensive like mind component isn't necessarily there in New York the same way it was in Green Bay. So are they relying on Aaron Rodgers to craft their offense? Are they, you know, like what's the what what's the game plan here? 
for the off for that Jets offense because it I, I just I, I think that there's going to be some play calling concerns. I think that there's going to be some growing pains there. Um, and I bet my bottom dollar when the schedule comes out, which I believe is pretty soon, like next week or the week after. Um, no, yeah, right. And they said like May 11th or something. Yeah, so it must be next week. Um, but when it comes out, I would be stunned if it's not Patriots Jets in New York week one. It just feels, that just feels right. They've played my, I know the past Miami have kicked off the last couple of years, typically in week one. I think it's going to be a Jets game because they're going to want to have Rodgers vanquish the 14 straight loss streak for the Jets. And I think that's, that could go really bad for the Jets because, and that's for anybody, it's a new team, a new system. It's the first full game. Like that's not this, you know, but if they lose to the Patriots for a 15th straight time with Aaron Rodgers under center week one in New York, that's an early recipe for disaster because the honeymoon will be over quickly if that's the case. Um, and they can't afford, if they're going to think that they're going to make the playoffs, they can't afford to lose to the Patriots. Because I don't, I genuinely don't see that Jets team beating Buffalo and they might split with Miami at best. So you lose one to the Pats and you're going two and four in the division, maybe three and three if you get exceptionally lucky. I, I just, I, I have a really hard time seeing that Jets team making any sort of splash. And it's exactly the move I never would have wanted the Pats to make in this window. I want them to build the team as they're building a team currently. Going after a veteran quarterback and going quote-unquote all-in is sort of a silly decision when Miami is sort of at the peak of its powers right now. Um, and Buffalo is, you know, maybe a year or two away from needing to retool. Going all-in this year felt a little silly. Um, and I think it's going to bite the Jets on the backside, which is, you know, par for the course. And Rodgers is not Brady. He's not – He last, uh, last season was not his best. I mean, I'm being very cordial when I say that. And he's not Brady in terms of physically. It just looks like he's – I mean, I'm sure he can still throw the football, but it's just not as – it's not – doesn't have that as, as much zing as it used to be. And – Again, I, I think it's it's different. It's different. It's different energies going from the Packers, who you know it, it's it's tradition there, and, and then there's a whole lot there, and then there's the Jets. The expectations are so much higher. I mean, I understand the Packers have that type of tradition, but the New York, the expectations is always high for whatever reason because it's New York. But it's just I, I I don't see them living up to that, and. The closer we get to the season, I, I believe that the hype is going to get louder and louder, and I'm not sure that he'll be able to live up to that. If, if we're right. wrong, we're wrong, but it's just... And, 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 yeah, and the last thing I'll say is that, I, you know, the way that Rodgers plays is a little bit more physical and a little bit more physically demanding than the way that Brady plays because he does scramble more. There's, there's just more, you know, more stress on his body with the way he plays the game. Since 2018, he's played at least 16 games in a season, every season. Um, in 2017, he got hurt and only played seven games. But then since then as well, he's played five additional playoff games. Um, so you're talking about a, a quarterback who has a lot of miles on the tires and relies on his legs a decent amount. 
Um, I just, and when you look at it, I understand last year might've been an anomaly, but last season he threw for less than 4,000 yards and only 26 touchdowns. And he's regressed each of the last several seasons. Could that be to do with some of the talent potentially, but uh, you know, he went for, I think the biggest and most jarring number is that he threw the most interceptions he's thrown since 2008. That's, you know, that's a, that's a lot, you know, and it's the, just, it's the second, also the second, the highest interception percentage in that time. He also had the lowest yards per attempt he's had since 2015. So you're not, you know, I, I think that there's possibility he does better than what he did with Green Bay, but you're not necessarily getting the four, you know, the 4,300 yards passing with 40 touchdowns and like five interceptions, 48 touchdowns and five interceptions. And I think that's who the Jets think they're getting. And I, I struggle to see that, um, especially considering the schedule they're playing and the defenses they're playing and the, the burden that the season will put on Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, so, but Matt, thanks for your email. Uh, you can email us at entitledweekend at gmail dot com. You can tweet uh, Bill at the fib oh six two four. I'm at atomic dog fifty one fifty. Clearly, Fitzy was able to find it. So, if you want to do that, you can too. It, it, listen, if Fitzy can find it, anyone can. <laughs> That, that that damn station. Uh, maybe next maybe next time we'll talk more about how that ter- how terrible that station is. It's just yeah. Um, the fact that like honestly, what are you doing? Like you're bleeding money. Just just end end this misery already. Fold it up. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, that's gonna do it for us. Until next time, turn off your radio, slugs. <laughs>